Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you, we praise you. And Lord, this time as we come before you in reverence, as we come before your altar, it is with a desire to hear from you, a desire to spend time with you. So I pray, Lord, this morning that you have your will, that you do your way. I give you my hands, I give you my feet, I give you my eyes, my tongue, my mouth. I ask, Father, that you speak through me your desire and none of mine. I pray, Lord, and I am confident in the fact that you are here. And that when we come and seek you, you will meet us where we're at. So I declare and proclaim that this morning. That we seek you. That we desire you. That we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's not about it being closer. All right. Is that, I, I don't, let me get behind it here then, maybe that's part of it, because then I turn it up more. Problem is, if I get in front of these speakers at all, it starts to ring like it is right there. Can you not hear me? Can you hear me okay? Okay. Because I can switch to the other microphone if we need to, but that's all right. This week, I was finishing up a series, um, not a series of study, a series on TV. And most in here won't remember this, because you're all too young to remember this. But uh, um, some of us more refined, older folk will remember this. I, I think this was back when, when Brooke was born, or she may have, it might have even been a year before she was born. But um, uh, there was something that happened in Waco, Texas. Yeah, there you go. A few, few of you, now we know the old people. All right, all those people saying, ah, yes, that's right. <laughs> the refined older people. Yes, I was, for those of you who don't know, uh, in, in the history of our country, we've had a few um, uh, situations where there have been cults, what we would call cults, and they ended in catastrophe, right? Now, this is one, and, and we, we've ta- I've used the example of Jim Jones in Guyana, because Wendy knows about that. She, she was right next door, where she grew up, was right next door to what happened in Guyana, and where a thousand people took their own lives, because they... They seemed to think Jim Jones was the Christ. And, and it was just, it was a mess, right? Well, this one in particular, um, I, I knew a lot about because I got to watch it live. It was 51 day, I think 51 or 52 days of, of this standoff in, of this compound, over a hundred people in this compound of Waco, Texas, which, uh, if you, if you understand that area, it's like out in the middle of nowhere. Right, 
but these over a hundred people that that lived together believing in Jesus Christ, believing in the Bible, but unfortunately believing that this leader was what he said he was. He said he was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Clearly, they followed the Bible. He did not understand the Bible. That is not how Jesus Christ would come. He he was called, I remember in the papers, he was called the sinful Messiah. Kind of seems strange, right? These believers were so involved, were so caught up, were so devoted that they gave everything in their lives, just like those in Guyana. Except there was a distinct difference. In Guyana, they were not allowed to leave. They were literally murdered in Guyana, most of them. Forced to drink this uh, Kool-Aid. That's why you have the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. For those of you who are too young to understand where that came from, that's where it came from. But this one was different. Nobody was murdered. Nobody was even asked to stay. These hundred plus people stayed on their own accord. Stayed because of their devotion. Stayed because of their belief in this false Christ. And it's a tragedy because of what happened. And I won't go through the story, but basically 30 of them got out because either they were, they were, you know, allowed to get out because there were a few kids and there were also some injured that were allowed to go. There were, I believe, 91 left that stayed. 26, I think, children. And they all died because when the ATF went in, they went in to get them to come out, sent in tear gas and all that. Well, it caught fire. And literally the whole place burned down and they all died of either smoke inhalation or were burned to death. Now the point is this. They were so devoted to what they believed that they were willing to give their life for it. They were willing to live in literal squalor. They had nothing. They lived with nothing. Their joy was in what they believed. And yet they believed in a false Messiah. Their belief was so strong in what was incorrect. How dare us as the church, as the bride, who has the true Messiah, to not be devoted in that very same way. That's how it hit me. This this week it just rocked me over that because... Not because of the tragic story. I mean, there there are millions of tragic stories. But I think the real tragic story are the millions and millions and millions of those who know Christ as Savior. That's who He calls the bride. That have little to no devotion to Him. They got their ticket to heaven. And that's all that was important to them. It breaks my heart because, quite honestly, that's not what Jesus died for. 
He did not die for us to escape death and then live on our own. That's why in the Bible it talks about justification from sin. That is what we call salvation. That is when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior because you recognize Him as the Son of God who came to this earth, became a man, lived a sinless life, offered His life on the cross, went to the grave, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, because death could not hold Him, He raised from the grave. And He sits at the right hand of the Father. When we believe that and we accept that, and, and we accept Him into our hearts. That's what we call salvation, but that's what the Bible calls justification. We become justified of our sin, not because of what we do, but because of what He did on the cross. <clears throat> but the next point, that sanctification point, that building of relationship point, that's where the church has not seemed to get it together for 2,000 years. In part, and in small pieces, but never as a whole. And that, that should break your heart. It breaks mine. I know it breaks Jesus' heart. Because what He died for was not your justification. He died for relationship with you. He died because he wanted to have that intimacy of relationship. He wanted to be best friends on a one-to-one personal level with you. And with his entire bride. So it broke my heart. To think that we don't get it. The bride overall. The bride as a whole doesn't get it. And that's because it can't be a overall choice that you force somebody to do. It has to be individually. Each of those people in Waco, Texas, except for the children, obviously, they had a choice to be there. They had a choice to leave. They had a choice to follow. So when we have the Savior, when we have the Christ, We know the truth. Why is it that life has to get in the way so much? I want you to turn to Isaiah 59. And I want to share with you how we limit God. Now, by the way, I I know matter of semantics... Can we really limit God, you know, or put God in a box? Well, no, we're really putting ourselves in a box. And really what's being limited is ourselves. Can we limit God in His power? Absolutely not. Can we limit God in our lives? Absolutely. You have the power to limit God in your own life. And the the reason for that is His choice of love. That he wanted love from you. So in order to have love and be able to enjoy love with you, he had to give you a choice. He had to give each one of us a choice. And that was the choice not just to choose him as Savior, but to choose him in relationship. To choose him in obedience. We had that choice. So in those choices, we can choose to limit God. 
And and it's so easy to do. I want to talk about a couple ways that we limit God. And these are not, these are not mind blowing subjects. These are things that we know. But when we keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, eventually, eventually there's breakthrough. So the first way that we limit God, and probably the most obvious way that we limit God, is through sin. Through a choice. I don't mean our sinful flesh, because we live in sinful flesh. We are sinners, and stamped as sinners, because of our flesh. That's not the the sin I'm talking about. The sin I'm talking about is known sin that you make a choice to do. Right? If I see a hundred dollar bill hanging out of some person's pocket ready to fall out and it'd be so easy to go grab it. Okay, and I go and choose to go grab it. That is a known sin. Do you see what I'm saying? If I were to bump that person and somehow that hundred dollar bill got into my pocket with me not doing anything about it, that would be perhaps unknown. <laughs> Till I recognized it. Do you see what I'm saying though? It's by choice. Sin is by choice. That's the sin we're talking about. That's the sin that takes us out of fellowship or out of relationship with Jesus Christ. The sin that we know. And, and, and by the way, remember what Jesus says. Sin is sin. Don't think that the only sin that takes us out of fellowship with Him are the bad things. You know, well, I, I didn't kill anybody today, so I'm good with that one. Right? But... Are we living a lie? You know, here's a tough one. Are you living with pornography? Something somebody else doesn't know about. Nobody knows about but you. But it's something by choice that you're making the choice to fall into that. Do you see what I'm saying? Now there is victory in those choices. But when we make the choice to fall. We are making the choice to limit God in our own lives. Isaiah 59. I want to just read the first couple of verses here. We'll start at verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, we wonder sometimes, why isn't God listening? I keep praying for him to take this from me. I keep praying for him to do this for me. I'm having this rough time at school or I'm having this rough time at work. And and God, I just keep praying for you to do something about it. Says God doesn't have a hear, an ear that won't hear. But literally what happens when we live in sin, a known sin, it says here, but your iniquities, your sin has made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. So that what? He doesn't hear. See, understand that what God died for was relationship with you. 
And what he is going to do is perform everything that he can to show that to you. But it's up to us. It's up to us to pursue him. He will not pursue us. He will call us and we are called unto salvation. And his salvation, his justification is 100% grace. But the, the building of relationship, he needs to know that we're on board with that. He needs to know that we're coming after him. You, you've heard the term, go after God. What does that mean? Go after God. Man, think about something you went after. Think about that chocolate bar that we just went after that. Right? We go after. I, I remember, I remember especially as, as a young man, things that I wanted, I would go after it. I remember when I was in high school, I can't remember, it might have been a sophomore or something like that, junior. I wanted a pool. Mom, dad, we need a pool. Dad's like, pools cost money. But we made a deal. Me and my dad, we made a deal. He'd buy a, he'd buy a pool if, I think I had to put $500 toward it. Was it $500? I think it was $500. Which by the way, guys, that was like three years ago, so $500 means a lot more than it does today. No, this was a long time ago. This was some, a long time ago. And $500 was a lot more back then. Okay, but it wasn't just that. Because it couldn't just be my financial commitment. I had to be willing to help install it. To help put it in. So see, it wasn't just that I could make a decision that, yes, I will be involved with this. Here's my money. Go for it. Go for it, God. Here's my yes. I'll be over here doing what I need to do. Let me know when it's done. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. No, God says, wait a second. It doesn't work that way. He said, I need your full commitment. I need the commitment that's going to require you to step in and get involved. I appreciated that pool. I think we have pictures of me. And of course, I got all my friends to help. I said, if you guys are going to swim in this, you're going to help me dig this thing. And we dug it. We, we didn't, of course, nowadays, you know, you go and you rent a backhoe and you dig something in, you know, 45 minutes, an hour. No, we're out there with shovels and picks. This was really the old days. I mean, they did have, understand, they, they did have machinery back then for, for all of you that are really young, okay? Yes, yes, we were all black and white back then. Yes, there was no color, no machinery. We're picking, we're, we're digging with picks and shovels. But I was invested in it. I was invested in that. I helped dig that. We put it in. We built a deck around it. It was awesome. It's, it, it was one of those half above and half below. Why, now you could do an all above, but see, that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted a deep end. So you have to dig to get a deep end. And it was awesome. It was a lot of work. But we invested in that and, and we, we, we got to enjoy the fruits of that. By the way, sorry to rabbit trail, but this, this was just the most fun thing in the world 
because you ever you ever play water polo with a watermelon and you grease it up? Okay, that, that's like crazy. We will never let our young people do this, ever. Just so you know. Unless it's somebody else's pool. Okay, because it's awesome until the watermelon breaks in the pool. Then it's a mess. But until that point, it is probably the most fun game I've ever played in my life. Now, it was because of that investment that I got to enjoy that. We invited the football team over, and, and I, won't, I won't waste too much time on that. It was fun, though. It was fun. And, and by the way, it was fun cleaning it up. We were invested. We had, we had invested the effort to, to make that pool happen in the first place. See, that's how it works with God. We invest with Him in this relationship. He wants more than just our yes. He wants our daily commitment, our daily walk. And not just, okay, Lord, I'm going to read and, and start my day off right. And then I'll see you when I get home. You know, why do you think Paul said, I pray without ceasing? It's because it didn't mean that he's on his knees all day long. It meant that he was with his Lord and recognized he was with his Lord all the time. And spoke to him all the time. So one of the ways we limit this is through the choices we make of known sin. Turn to Jeremiah 5. This is along the same lines of how this relationship with the Lord can literally cost us if we're not aware of what gets in the way. Jeremiah chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 22. says this, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the wave tosses, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord our God, who gives us the rain in its season the autumn rain and the spring rain, and keeps for us the weeks appointed for the harvest. And then verse 25 is the key. Your iniquities or your sin have turned these away, these good things. And your sins have kept good from you. In your own life, if you wonder why your life keeps going through a cycle that you can't get out of, That you have no breakthrough. That you have no real intimacy with Christ. You get to a point where you're recognizing Christ and His voice. And then something changes. And then you find yourself back at square one again. You get trapped in this cycle. It says here, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord. Do we not understand that our choices in sin can limit God? Our choices can limit what He does in our life. See, what we want a life of is a life without limits. I want a relationship with Christ without limits. 
That, that began years ago when I was reading the book of Acts and seeing that, that I just don't see that today. The miracles, and it wasn't just what God was doing. It wasn't just the miracles. It was the intimacy. Have you ever read through the Gospels and understood the intimacy that these people had with Jesus? See, that intimacy, is that's what I wanted. That's what I craved. That's what I've sought after. I can tell you when you seek after it, you will find it. He promises that. When you seek Him, you'll find Him. When you knock, He'll open. But we cannot let sin get in the way of that. And and I'll tell you, the, the way... I don't know if it's how we're trained in the United States. I don't know if... Whatever it is, how we grow up here. But we've come to understand that tolerance is the way to God. And I would dare any of you to show me where it says that in the Word of God. Because it doesn't. Don't don't confuse tolerance with love. Because Jesus loved everyone. Jesus came for the sinner. He said, I came to set the captives free, those captive by sin and death. When when Mary... uh, well, they called her the, the prostitute, I believe it was Mary. When when she came and or Jesus came and the the, uh, the Pharisees were about to stone her and he said, He who has no sin, throw the first stone. And they one by one set him down and walked off. Which by the way, I, I don't think that tells the whole story. I don't think that's all that Jesus said. I think there were a group of of men or a group of people around there that were about to stone her. And and he picks up this stone with this lady at his feet. And he says, you know, Mordecai, you know, who are you? Are you one without sin? And then he tells another, are you without sin? And each time that he begins to, whether he did it out loud or whether, whether he did it in the spirit to convict them, each one was convicted of their sin and they laid down the rock and they walked off. So it's not that Jesus didn't come to set the captives free. It, it, it isn't that we, we do not love people. Jesus loved the sinner. But there's a difference with tolerance. See, tolerance gives us the assumption that you can have the same thing, but yet we're tolerant of either the attitude, or in this case, the sin. Jesus is saying, He cannot and will not Be tolerant of sin when it comes to relationship with Him. Now, is He tolerant in His justification? Sure. Because you pay nothing for His justification. You pay nothing when you ask Jesus into your heart. You paid nothing for that. You were just obedient in inviting Him. That's all you did. But in building relationship, there's a cost. In building relationship, tolerance is not part of the deal. Because tolerance is what costs. 
If I think that I can live a life that I keep hidden from everybody else, if I have a life just just encumbered by pornography or encumbered by something that I could keep hidden from all of you, can't keep it hidden from Christ. But we can hide things from other people. We can seem righteous. We could seem on track. Although that always catches up. Because God's truth is truth. But if I do that, who am I hurting? I'm hurting me. Because it, it sets up a block for what Jesus Christ wants to do in my life. It sets up a block for the, the, the relationship, the sweetness. I know most people in here are not married. Most people are young people. But think about a close relationship. I give examples of my wife and I all the time. If there is something that I am doing against her, and let's say she just knows everything, which by the way she does. I don't know what it is with women. They just know everything anyways. Okay, so this is a pretty good example, right? If, if I have something in my relationship with my wife that, that I am doing that literally breaks her heart, why in the world would I expect her to be vulnerable with me? Why would I expect her to set those things aside and not have a thought process of the fact that I am the one pulling away? But yet we do that with God every day. We do that with Him every day. God, I, 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 I want this because it's mine, but, but here, I'm giving you all this. I'm doing what, what you want me to do. You know, I'm, I'm praying, I'm, I'm worshiping, I'm leading. But yet in His heart, see, He knows the truth. He knows what we put in the way. And by the way, that doesn't mean there's not forgiveness. That doesn't mean that, that if there is a failure, that it is all gone and all lost. Oh, praise God. That's not what it means. Because God looks at the heart. Look at, look at David. David was a murderer. He was an adulterer. And, and by the way, he wasn't just a murderer. Uriah, who he murdered and took his wife. Do you know Uriah was one of David's greatest men? I I believe Uriah was part of the 30. 30 greatest men that David had. These, if you, if you want to read some real HBO stuff, I don't know why these guys don't pick up some Bible stories and make movies out of them because they're, they're like off the wall extraordinary. Go read stories about David's top 30 men. And then he had a top three. And then it's funny because he had a a fourth that didn't quite make it into the three, but he was as good as the three. That's how the Bible literally lays it out. Uriah was one of these 30. Some of these men, we think it's amazing what Samson did. Okay, where he killed a thousand men with with the jawbone of of a donkey, right? Okay, this is what these guys would do. And not just one of them once. They did it all the time. Oh man, to have an army like that. 
That would be awesome. Think about that. Okay, but these are, are, you know, Uriah was one of these men that was so dedicated to David. And yet he turned around out of sin and complacency because he didn't go to war. He stayed back. When they went to war, he stayed back and he's hanging out on his roof. And he's looking where he shouldn't be looking. And then he goes and he, you can't tell me he didn't know who she was. I know my neighbors. You can't, you can't tell me he didn't know. He fell into sin, tried to cover up that sin, right? And when he couldn't cover it up, he had to compound it, and instead of just being an adult, an adulterer, he had to become a murderer. And not just a murderer, a murderer of one of his closest friends. One of his closest soldiers. But God. But God knew David's heart. And God knew that when he was presented with the truth, David would understand and he would fall to his knees. And that's exactly what happened. He lived this, this short time of pride where he could keep it in a category. He could categorize his life. I don't even know how he functioned, to be honest with you. But he did, just like we do. Until he was presented face to face by Nathan and saying, you're the man that did this wrong. And what did David do? He fell to his knees. He cried out to God. He admitted to who he was. God forgave him. He didn't change the circumstances. Understand, there, there was a little baby born of that union that died because that was the consequence of that sin. But then God created something beautiful out of it. Was that his original will? Of course not. Sin never is. But God can then turn a contrite heart, a heart opened up to him. He can turn that into something beautiful. That's what he did in David's life because literally David's heir came from that sin. Because later he married Bathsheba. And after this first baby died, and after his heart was made right, that's when Solomon came. Solomon is who carried on David's throne. So in your own life, don't be defeated. Don't listen to the enemy when he says that you cannot have victory over sin in your life. You can. If you keep telling yourself that, read that story of David and tell the enemy he's a liar. But still, it comes down to our choice. It came down to the choice of David recognizing his sin. And saying, Lord, I want you more than I want this sin. There's another way that we limit God in our lives. And that's, and this is a big one. You know, it, sin is the, the, the most obvious, right? But there are two other ways that we limit God that are not so obvious. And this next one is fear. We limit God in our lives 
out of fear of just about anything. Fear that it's Him that's leading us. Fear in stepping into the unknown. Fear in walking in righteousness because we may lose our friends. For me, five years ago, fear of recognizing what God is really doing and wanting to do in my life because I may lose my family over it. As I began to believe in the gifts, right? Certainly lost my church over it. Praise God I didn't have to lose my family. Or some of them probably think I'm pretty whacked, but it's okay. I want you to turn to Matthew 25. And I want you to understand how fear can limit. This is the parable of the talents, and you all know this, but I want to read through it. Because it says, the word of God will never return void. I want it to sink into your hearts. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who has called his servants. And this is talking about the kingdom of God, by the way. Called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and did his master's and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And before I go on, I want to point something out. There was no difference in their reward. There was no difference in the joy that the master had for their performance. Verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. But what did he say his reason was? He said, verse 25, so I was afraid. 
How often do we limit God because of fear? How often do we limit God because, or, or step forward in a godly way, in a relationship even, because we're afraid of losing that person in the relationship? Or losing that friendship? Well, Lord, I, I can't step in obedience to you because of what I may lose. That's exactly what this servant thought. I was afraid, and so I hid it. Now, in reality, though, there's more going on there in that fear. Because the, the master pointed out, wait a second, you, you could have, you could have just invested it with the bank and that would have been a guarantee. So, so there's more going on in that fear. There was an unwillingness. The master was pointing out that you were aware of what he wanted. You were aware of what you could have done. And so because of that, he displeased his master. See, when we walk in fear, we limit what God wants to do in our lives. First time you ever go on a prayer walk, which by the way, there's a prayer walk next Sunday. First time you go on a prayer walk, and the Lord tells you, won't you go up to this person and won't you, won't you say this to them or, or pray with them or, or do something? And immediately this fear comes on you. Now, by the way, that's a normal thing. I, maybe there's some of you that are okay with just doing things out of the box all the time. I, very few are. That's a normal thing to, to be afraid. See, the master here was not upset that he was afraid. The master here was upset that the fear stopped him. Is the fear stopping you from doing what's right? Is the fear stopping you from doing what God is calling you to do? Sometimes that fear is in what we lose. Well, I'm not supposed to be in this. Lord is saying I'm not supposed to be in this relationship, but I need this relationship. So I need to stay in it. There's a fear of what you think you will lose because you don't understand what you'll gain. And Jesus is saying, He has to be everything. So see, we limit God through fear. How about the fear of being wrong? Wow, that's a tough one. Especially when, when you start, start operating in the gifts and you're operating in a church that, that operates in the gifts and, and especially one that's just learning the gifts. Right? That can be a scary thing to know the Lord told you something and you're supposed to reveal it, but you don't because, well, I, I'm pretty sure the Lord told me. See, what if God wanted your input to be a peace of what he wanted to tell everybody. But with your piece missing, that puzzle was not complete. Or what if he wanted to use that moment to teach 
you that it's okay if we hear something wrong, but then we move forward in recognizing how that was the case and correcting it. It's learning. So how, how many times do we stifle ourselves because we're afraid? Well, you know, I'm, I'm better off just not doing it at all. I'm better off not looking like a fool. By the way, I, <clears throat> a lot of people right here might say that, you know, God's never going to want you to look like a fool. But I got to tell you, that's not the case. That's not the case. I, I've lived that, first of all, myself, but I could, I could, I could point out time after time after time in the Word of God where, where His expectation were for them to step forward because they would look like a fool. But that was okay. Because when they began to understand later on what really happened, they no longer look like a fool anymore. You know, can you, can you imagine some of these things that were, were told of the prophets, what the prophets were supposed to do? And at the time, it's like, yeah, okay, we'll just leave him right over there. But then when God does what he's gonna do, it's, it's like ominous. And you no longer look at the, just, just the ridiculous aspect of that person's obedience. But you look at the awe of what came because of their obedience. So we limit God sometimes because of our fear. And the last one to me is probably the most devastating. We limit God because of unbelief. I've shared this with you before that, you know, I've been saved now for 45 years. And for 40 years, I limited God in my own life because I did not believe that He would work in a way that He has worked through ever since creation. For whatever reason, the deception or, or, or my own pride or what, my own fear, whatever reason it was, my unbelief held me back from what God wanted to do in my life. How often does unbelief hold us back? I want you to turn to Matthew 17. Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to start at verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, up to Jesus... And kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus said, O faithless and twisted generation. By the way, that word twisted there means distorted. Out of focus. Not understanding. So he says, oh, faithless and, and distorted or out of focus generation. How long am I, into, am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. 
Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said, Because of your little faith. Then he encouraged them. For truly, he said, he said, you gotta get this. You gotta understand this. Truly, truly, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here and it'll move. And nothing will be impossible for you. You know, in, in my 45 years of being a Christian, of being justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and specific the late, specifically the last five years, when I have just been pouring out, going after Him hard in relationship, I have began to understand the idea of faith and what faith really does. See, I've said this before, but faith is a currency. Faith is a currency, heaven's currency. You cannot get to heaven without paying this currency. Jesus did everything on the cross, but it is by faith that we accept Him. We have to have faith. Now, by the way, that doesn't take much faith. It doesn't take much faith to save my hide from the fire. But what about the faith that He required for all those things that we saw in the book of Acts. Or all those things that we saw in, in Paul's epistles. What about all the things that we want to see on this earth, right here, right now in the readying of the bride? See, there's a currency of faith that has to be paid for that to happen. That is opposite of unbelief. That's why I say that unbelief is probably the greatest thing that hinders or, or limits your relationship with Christ. That limits what He can do in your life. Tell me in the Bible where it says that, that, that people will not be raised from the dead. Tell me in the Bible where it says that people will not be healed today. Tell me in the Bible where it says that God will not speak to people today. But in each one of those cases, He requires the currency of faith. He requires that faith for you to believe. Why? Because it is faith that builds relationship. Faith is what God gets out of it. Right? I mean, we get eternal life. We, we get to not have to pay for our sin. So what does God get for sacrificing His only Son? If we don't give Him faith, then we're not giving Him the very thing that He wanted in the first place. Faith in Him. So it is unbelief that can really hinder our lives or our walk with Christ or limit what we're to do. And by, by the way, this goes back to, this is, this is faith, but it goes back to that idea of fear also. 
There's something that I want to point out because God has taken us through this training of warfare, for lack of a better word. Understanding the, the battlefield in which we're placed. Right? And, and we, we've dealt with that and God's trained us in that. The thing we have to be careful of is that we're not afraid. The thing that we have to be careful of is that when we are dealing with somebody, like, like when, when we're in Kaduku, for instance, and, and these people are, are manifesting demonic possession and, and I mean, just going nuts. And they were, I don't know, just a, a building filled with them. And, and, and we're all in there dealing with this. See, I have a choice there. I can choose to not get involved because I'm afraid for a lack of faith. Or I can take up my sword and I can get involved. Oftentimes, we think by just being around this person that it's going to jump over and get on us. Do you understand that there is nothing Nothing, understand this, nothing the enemy can do to you when you walk a purified life. So that fear must come because of the choices that you make. Recognize that. Because as we walk in relationship with the Lord, and we keep a short account of our sin, and, and we're, we're, we're staying before Him and moving in faith, the enemy cannot Touch you where it takes effect. Doesn't mean you can't have circumstances happen to you. Okay. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have a trial that you go through. It just means that he cannot take you out of God's will. Now sometimes God, it is his will for us to go through difficult things. If you want an example of that, man, read Paul. I mean, here, here's a guy that it took 14 years of training, but part of that, God was telling him all the stuff that he was going to have to go through. You want to talk about faith? I don't know how many of us, if we could sit down and look at a piece of paper of all the things we're going to have to go through in life at the cost of having relationship with Jesus Christ and say, I'll sign that? Yes. <laughs> Give it to me tenfold. <laughs> you know, but yet Paul did. Why? Because Paul was not, he did not have his eyes set on this life. He had his eyes set on the next life, being with Jesus Christ and saying, whatever you want, Lord. See, Paul had faith. Oh, what it, what it will be like. And it's going to happen. But what it will be like when a group of people just abandonly say yes to the Lord and back it up with their lives. Back it up with a pure walk. Back it up with a love for Him to say that I don't want anything to come in the way of my relationship with you. Nothing. Not even my pride. Not even what I desire. But nothing come in the way. Oh, what God's going to do with a group of people like that. That's what he's calling this group of people to do. But see, 
I can't make that choice for you. You can't make that choice for each other. We all have to make that choice for ourselves. Will you allow yourself to be hindered because of unbelief? Or because of a lack of faith? Will you allow yourself to be hindered because you're afraid? You're afraid to step into the unknown. You're afraid to move forward because you can't see the outcome. And are you going to continue choosing to allow sin to hinder that relationship that you so desire with the Lord Jesus Christ? See, God doesn't limit Himself with us. We limit Him in our walk with Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. We thank You and we praise You, God. And I just pray, Lord, that these words sink deep into our hearts. And not just those of us here, but those watching online and those that will see this in the future online. Because you're calling your bride to something bigger. You're calling your bride to a dedicated life in relationship with you. And it's from that 100% dedication that you bring all of the blessing that you bring. One of the few times, Father, that your children of Israel were were completely and 100% on board and together was when you took them into the promised land. They would let nothing hinder them. They desired you because they had just gone through paying a great price because of their sin. So God, I pray that you open our eyes and speak to our hearts where we are. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before we give announcements, I, the Holy Spirit only gave me one thing that I wanted to mention. Um, and that is with what his last point was about being fearful. You know, what I have seen in churches through the years is the fear that when, um, when the Holy Spirit begins to reveal um, new and exciting depth and wonders in the Word of God, not a new doctrine, but new truths within the doctrine, okay, because obviously there's still more to learn, There is a fear sometimes of when I disagree or when I'm not sure that that I understand that, there's a feeling of, okay, well, uh, I don't, I don't know if I see it that way. I'm reading the same verse and I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Don't let fear of disagreement shut you down or make you feel like you need to make a rash decision about that church. I remember when we were first married. And, you know, at the beginning, early, early stages, the honeymoon stage, and, you you know, you're focusing on the joy and the newness and the commonalities. And then we have one of our first arguments. 
I don't know that we had arguments. I think we just had fights. <laughs> but, um, but you know, a, a lot of newlyweds experience the shock of how are we going to get past this? I didn't know you saw it that way. And I don't know that I see it that way. And how are we going to, do we have unity anymore if we don't see it the same way? Like, how are we going to work through this? And I can tell you that that's why marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Because there is a, a, a Berean, as the New Testament says, concept that when you are learning the word of God, just because you don't see it at first, go to the Lord, go to a Christian brother or sister, work through it. But don't be afraid. Don't let fear come in and say, well, what do I do now? I don't, I don't agree. So I, I guess I, well, do I just need to stop having fellowship or I need to leave or I, let God begin to work in you, man. That divides more churches than anything when there is a disagreement. And um, clearly, marriage is about already two opposites. Because marriage is between a man and a woman. You can't get more opposite than that. And so there's unity to be found in, in the differences. But the Holy Spirit always unites us in helping us to see what he wants us to see if our hearts are pure toward him. And I'm not talking about compromises and all that kind of thing. I'm talking about Holy Spirit's going to give you a piece about what he's trying to show you in scripture or, like Greg has said, the accountability that will be with him should he have misread a scripture. But there's a lot of fear sometimes in disagreements. So don't let, don't let disagreements um, make you fearful because that's just another thing that will begin to limit your life. And I've just seen that happen so many times. If God calls you to another work, go where God calls you. But never leave a church for a disagreement alone until you have worked that through. Because you'll never, ever find the grass that looks greener in the next place will not be green the first time the disagreement is there. And it just becomes a perpetual problem. So uh, so that's just what I, I wanted to encourage you about. And I'll tell you, what he preached on today is essentially, and I don't know if you have the slide for the passionate pursuit, but this retreat is really about that very, very thing this year's retreat and um is are we already off now or i was just 